2: Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, it's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We are reeling, just reeling, knowing that the Cubs cannot take home the Crosstown Cup. Did did you know that? No, no one knows that. But you see, (laughs) if they tie, if if you tie, the, the Cup stays with the previous team. So having lost both of these games, the Cubs now can no longer take the Cup. Isn't it amazing that nobody is talking about that? Nobody, immediately after last night's loss, was like dropping the bomb of like, no, the Cubs can't win the Cup now.
3: It's the most romantic trophy in baseball, because uh, Patrick and I and other writers witnessed a proposal right next to <laughs> the cup yesterday. We were... Uh, is it still called the cup? Crosstown Cup? Yeah, it's not cup? really it's not like a cup, cup anymore. Sure. It's
0: kind yeah, like a—it's it's not
2: what it used to be. It's like a building, tr- almost. Yeah. yeah.
0: Kind of like a Lego mini skyscraper type thing. <laughs> the Crosstown <laughs> Block. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you get context? She said yes. Yeah. She said yes. Okay, so did you get context yeah, yeah. for the proposal? Was it like a White Sox fan and a Cubs fan or? No,
3: I I don't know. I think we were all just a little taken <laughs> aback that that was the venue for <laughs> the proposal.
2: But hey, you know.
0: <laughs> we're all looking at each other and the security guards, uh, you know, are kind of like nodding along like, no, that's a proposal. We're like Everyone saw it and it took a moment to like sink in and then the, Said, yeah, so wishing them many years of happiness ahead watching Cubs, uh, White Sox, Crosstown Thrillers. Well,
2: I proposed to my wife in front of like the, uh, what is it, like the Paul Bunyan axe or the, um, the jug, the big jug, uh, you know, all those ones that are actually historical. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think if I had proposed to her in front of the Crosstown Cup, she might have said no. I think that might have been it for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. So the Cubs, uh, as as we joke, they did of course lose uh, last night to the White Sox, and the night before. Um, I think, it, you know, I don't want to echo everything that we said last week, but you know, primarily what was notable to me is like the things that you would have written down on paper going into the series that were like, oh, I you know, kind of concerned about this, kind of concerned about this against this matchup. And I, it's what played out. I mean. Kopeck and Giolito got their strikeouts. Um, that White Sox bullpen is very strong. The Cubs, for their part, uh, you know, we'll get into it in a moment, but they had to use an opener in the first game, and then Kyle Hendricks in the second game, and Kyle Hendricks did kind of what he's done the last couple of years, which is look not terrible, but, you know, he kind of looked like he looks, and then you get the results, and you're like, oh, these results aren't very good. Is this normal now, and... Whatever. Well, we're going to have plenty of weeks left to get into Kyle Hendricks. And I, I don't know that he was the most compelling. I didn't think
3: he was that bad. but
2: Well, I, the, <laughs> OK, you, you just forced like that's all it takes. I was like, I'm not going to get into it. You that. <laughs> he wasn't that bad. And if you looked at like the pitch location it was much better than it's been in his bad outings. I understand that the two decisive runs came on that bullshit grounder through the shift and then that blooping bullshit in the outfield. I get it. At the same time, he struck out two, a lot of balls in play, a lot of really hard contact uh, that was not all on the ground. Um, I I don't know. I thought it looked that's why I try to describe it as I'm like, it looked, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's Kyle Hendricks. But then you look at the results, you're like, but these results are bad. So is that just what he is now? Um, So anyway, like I said, we'll get into that more. And I do think it's reasonable to give more time for him to continue working and adjusting before we conclude that like the last two years are the trend you know but setting that aside i thought you know the things that i noticed in this series and we'll get into it the strikeouts uh which really started to accelerate last week and continued into this matchup uh and it, it was your piece right so how did the OK, so we'll get into that side so has a, a particular take on the the looking strikes, which there's just no way you haven't noticed by now if you've been watching. <laughs> um, but dap to the bullpen. I mean, it keeps doing its thing, uh, including the uh, first game in the series. Drew Smiley went on the bereavement list. So Scott F. Ross was tapped to be the opener. He uh, two unearned runs because of defensive shenanigans behind him. But I thought he looked just as capable as ever. Uh, Keegan Thompson, with the bulk behind him, looked like Keegan Thompson, and uh, so that that was good. Uh, I wanted to give love to Efros for that because it was just another example of like he just kind of quietly does whatever the situation is, whatever's asked. And um, I don't know if you've looked at any of the quality of contact leaderboards at Statcast, but he's like in the top five of everything. Um, so he's, you know. The, the the crappy balls in play off of him are, or the the results that are the product of crappy balls in play are deserved, and uh just a wonderful story. I, I like Sahadi so was telling us before we started recording that he was doing a radio hit on Dan Bernstein's show on uh, the score, and I'll let you take it from there. Just you can share a brief version of that, but I wanted to make sure to be yeah. like, plug 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 the score because we don't <laughs> want to steal the story. Just there you go.
3: No, it was. It, I, I mean, I. we talk about Efros a lot. Like, he's a student of the game, really seems like a really down to earth guy uh, off the mound and, and really kind to everyone. And, and this story kind of blew me away. But apparently, Dan Bernstein's son started throwing sidearm uh, at the recommendation of a coach. And Dan uh, obviously knows Ian Happ because Ian Happ comes on their show uh, weekly. Uh, he reached out to Hap and asked if he could get Scott Efros' email, expecting a very you know like minor response, uh, you know something nice for a kid, right? Efros asks for video of his son, and then not doesn't just like give a quick breakdown, but gets on the phone with his kid for like forty minutes and and talks about pitching with him, and then and then tells him you can reach out to me anytime. And knowing Efros, you know, I've known him since whenever he came up last season, so it's not like I have this great long history with the dude, but just knowing what we know about him, I wouldn't be surprised if he responds to those texts frequently and and encourages the kid to like really means it when he tells the kid to reach out he's a he's a fascinating fascinating story as you know a lot of people have written about how he got here but uh, he's the type of guy that doesn't seem like he's it's going to be a a quick flash in the pan for him Uh, guys that throw the way he does uh, can last a really long time like as Gibbons is showing as as darren o'day shows as uh joe smith shows like there's there's a lot of guys like this that he could carve out a long career for himself
2: uh two quick things on Efros. one from a statistical point to what you were saying there about his ability to keep doing this he throws from the most extreme third base side release point in baseball uh he's the single most extreme and we remember that or that it, maybe this is a bad point to make but if you'll recall there was a period of time when Kyle Ryan was the same on the first base side. Uh, He wasn't, the delivery wasn't the same. So it's not a comp in that respect, but like guys who do super extreme things can sometimes surprise you. And so, um, you know, I, I dig that. And also hearing this story about F was not, I mean, it's, Amazing, but it's not super surprising because everything you hear about him from everybody who interacts with him is that he's just a super good dude. And it made me think about, like you said, his particular story and trajectory as a college starting pitching prospect who was drafted kind of late. Who I don't want to say he immediately flamed out, but but there wasn't a ton of upward development there uh, as soon as he got into the system. And you know, as the story goes, he was essentially told, you know maybe you should try screwing around with your sidearm thing because I'm not sure that this is going to work for you otherwise. And so I, I translate that to stories that I hear about him talking to Bernstein's kid. And just, you wonder to what extent he's like, you know, I got a total second chance and it, and it elevated me to the big leagues. And I want to try to pass on that spirit, not the sidearm thing, but the, that spirit of like helping people on to as many people as I can. And I just, that, that story uh yeah it just I don't know it it t- it tickled me just right in the right way when um you were telling it so I appreciate that it, it I mean it's sincere i i I come off so so bad when I'm being sincere because I I, <laughs> <laughs> I swear in my in my real life I am like this deeply sincere uh affected person but Anytime I'm doing like content, whether it's a podcast or writing or whatever, I have to be like, no, 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 I'm, I'm being sincere. I mean, this. <laughs> uh, like the, did you guys see the the Blue Jays fan who caught the Aaron Judge home run and gave it to the the kid behind him in the Aaron Judge shirt? I mean, just and the kid melts, just yeah. and weeps. I I cried. I I was watching that and I cried. <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not ashamed. It was so touching. And so, I just, like, the, like the story with the Efrost thing, I guess it's kids. Kids, it kind of gets to me a bit, but it just it just makes me so happy, and it makes me feel like, all right, we got some goodness out there. There's some goodness out there. All right. Nobody's kind like of
0: like the Oprah episode <laughs> yeah, uh, of Anta Waveluums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of, uh, Only
2: if you look under your-
0: Faking sincerity hey, and- Look uh... under your chair,
2: Patrick. You will find <laughs> everybody's getting some spider tack. You get some <laughs> spider attack, and you get some spider uh, oh, uh, attack. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of that, I'm just trying
0: to figure out how we transition. Well, yeah, I'm from, just baun- I'm just gonna uh, keep bouncing. Did you see the feel good
2: the Madison Bumgarner hand check? Uh, did you guys see this where he got so he was getting hand checked after his yeah. first inning, and the umpire there there had to have been you know, that there was something to that because the umpire was just like staring staring deeply into Bumgarner's eyes as he is very slowly checking his hand. Um And so Bumgarner is already predisposed to a little red assery. And dude, ump had to know that he was going to say something and he just totally baited the guy. And so Bumgarner <laughs> says something immediately gets ejected and there's this big flap or whatever. And see, there was, Uh, Let me see, how can I circle this back to the Cubs? Um, No ejections for the Cubs recently. Uh, Yes, (laughs) nailed it.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: OK, uh, let's talk a bit about the, the strike zone, uh, <laughs> the strike zone issues with the Cubs, specifically this. Uh, I like a lot of the quotes that you got that were kind of ta- speaking to this issue that, like, philosophically, the Cubs may have the right idea insofar as, you know, we've heard this before. Early on, you want to target something specifically that you want to attack a pitch type and a pitch location. And when you get behind in the count, then you can kind of sort of come a little more defensive. Um, And that may be what the Cubs are trying to employ, but we aren't seeing a lot of success early in the counts. Like maybe a lot, maybe a decent amount of swings, although you found they were taking a lot of early strikes compared to other teams. Um, A lot of fouling it back, they get behind and then we're just seeing this inordinate volume of, um, you know what it looks like when a, when a guy thought he was going to get, this pitch and instead he got that pitch and it's like ah oh, shit you like you can see it registering for him ah oh, shit i was wrong on that you might see that once or twice a week total uh but like i feel like we're seeing it every game for at least one guy that that particular moment and i'm just like what is up with that
3: yeah it ended the eighth and ninth inning right i mean ian happ who's been really good about not about his swing decisions and and like he's probably been one of the best of the group. So that was uncharacteristic for him. Uh, but he was hammered with uh, four pitches up in the zone uh, two change ups, I think, and two fastballs. And then I think it was Matt Foster, right? Fo- Matt Foster threw a fastball down in the zone that just completely caught Hap off guard and he took it for a strike. Uh, to end the game, Nico, uh, you know, I think he was expecting a breaking ball there uh, with two strikes and, and just took a fastball down the middle. It's way too many looking strikes. And, and part of it is talking to Ross, talking to Greg Brown. uh. Okay, you want to swing at the right pitches, right? You don't want to take – you 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 can take some strikes. There are, there are strikes that you should take. There are, there are 50-50 pitches that go that the umpire – one umpire one day will call a strike. The next umpire the next day will call a ball. If you take those on a 0-0 count or a 2-0 count, fine. Look, look for your pitch. But they're taking the second highest percentage of what StatCast defines as – Uh, strikes in the heart of the zone the second highest percentage of those pitches that's I mean that's the problem right there you you can't take those pitches that you're supposed to be attacking Uh, I didn't write all of this just because I wanted to focus on the takes but they're they're chasing again and they're not swinging at the pitches in the zone so they're swinging at the uh, like since like the start of the Rays series the strikeout rate has jumped to top in baseball, uh, and they're chasing more. Their the contact is down. The swinging at pitches in the zone is way down. Uh, the the swinging strikes in general are way up. So it's not just looking at pitches. It's just they're they're like uh, I think the Michael Kopech said this, and and so did Ross. They're in between. They're they they're guessing wrong, and it, it's really hard. I mean we we've, we've we've talked about this before with with all star players who who say the same thing sometimes you just you know the the guy the the guy in the mound just out, out thinks you out out pitches you and and p- takes advantage of the situation and and I think right now there there's a lot of things off with them and and things are not going well what what I found interesting uh Eno Serres just published a piece today about how there's essentially like the best way to get good offense is to not swing as much so the cubs are halfway there <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just not. Then now they
2: just need to make the right swing decisions when they got, do swing. I got to tell you, <laughs> if not swinging the bat, a superstar <laughs> makes, then the Cubs need to hit me up because I will stand there and I will stand in the far back corner of the box and I will not swing. And I do. I always wonder. I'm like, what would your walk rate be? You know, if you if I, because obviously the pitcher knows. Okay this tiny skinny dweeb is not going to swing, but sometimes they miss. I bet, I bet I might have like a 100 on base percentage, <laughs> yeah. which is just fantastic. It could be playable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and not only would I have that also, my defense would be terrible. So you'd get that too. Well, that's helpful.
0: I've just been surprised. Like I was thinking about this after reading Sade's piece, like, you kind of look around the diamond up and down the lineup, like the Cubs have been reasonably pleased with their catching tandem. Nico's looked good at shortstop. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. Like Patrick Wisdom has like unique skill set and he makes very little money. Like it plays. Ian Happ yesterday, D- David Ross described him as the team MVP. We knew Saya Suzuki would have an adjustment period and he's, Looks pretty rough now, but he's certainly shown flashes of being an impact hitter in the majors. And yet, still, we're talking about the offense again, and the Cubs are among the worst teams in baseball. And the season is pretty much over in early May. Like they've had a lot of things you know, kind of go right on the position player side. Obviously, there's been some misses thus far. It's just surprising to me that if you know we kind of talked about this right before the season started like all these things would happen like where do you think the Cubs would be I don't think we would have said like totally buried and that's kind of where they are after this series
2: yeah and you um, all of that plays and then you. we always have to grip ourselves with the caution of you know for as swiftly as they've fallen after that six and four start it's like okay it's it's only been 14 games since then which is more than half the season so far. So it's like, ah, but it's also like, okay, is that really enough to, to, to say, you know, that, okay, we've had confirmed what our suspicions were. And I don't know. I, I always fight that battle a bit and I, I try not to. And then I, I sort of questioning myself. I'm like, how much am I doing that? Because I'm a fan. And I'm like talking myself into having that tiny bit of hope and that, Oh, there's big, Changes that they're making that will take time to take root, and we start digging into a topic like this, where it's like, okay, you know, they they do have a new hitting coach, and they do have uh, a lot of new players, and they do have kind of a philosophy shift, and on and on, and maybe it'll take a little time, maybe it takes some game action to to bear fruit. I, I don't know. I leave myself open to those possibilities, but at the same time, you know, we're all watching the same games, and it's it is hard to you know, you certainly wouldn't bet on a major turnaround from here. I did want to point out in relation to the taking lots of strikes thing, you know, it was Seiya Suzuki who put this issue on our radar insofar as it was, it became, you know, more obvious with him, I think, I would argue, than some others, because he would uh, get in these really deep counts. So it was, you know, he'd seen a lot of pitches and a given it bat, And then all of a sudden he would take, a fastball right down the middle for strike three is it, it just it was very bizarre and so that's kind of what teed a lot of this up and then you see other guys doing the same thing i did want to note so for his season so far a lot of people pointing to the fact that first first half of games he was all universe second half he's been abysmal you know the biggest thing that changed uh just it's not the exclusive change but it is like so dramatic is starting with that pirates series pitchers just started pounding the zone just straight up or like oh we just have to throw him strikes okay and and his like in zone rate it went it just erupted that was their first scouting shift against him and he wasn't swinging so he was behind in a ton of counts he was taking a lot of strike threes he wasn't getting those opportunities to create that quality contact but two things one his actual quality of contact during that time was not terrible It wasn't as good as the first two weeks where it was like he was obliterating everything he touched, but it was like fine playable. There's a lot of bad luck baked into him not getting results. Um, And then two bit by bit, it's a little early. I don't want to call anything, but his in-zone swing rate has been creeping up. The last four games, it has actually started to reach a level that you would expect it to be at. Um, Whereas he was swinging like 40% of the time at strikes, which is just crazy and it's been creeping up 60 70 it was 80 last night uh so i don't know it's possible he's making that adjustment that that will play out in the results but is starting with okay they're going to be more aggressive with me so i've got to be more aggressive with them
3: yeah i mean i think in general we can talk about how the cubs feel like they're buried in early may and i i tend to agree that I'm not going to be looking for them to make some run here and get back into any sort of playoff race, but I also think uh, there, are, there are things that you can watch for uh, to see progress being made, and I know there are a lot of fans that just don't care about that or want to hear that, but while they may be buried in the standings, the, there are certain players who may be really struggling right now. Suzuki, I, I don't, I, I'm not too concerned about it. I think he will make that adjustment. I think, I think kind of what you touched on is, is right. He's, he's seeing more strikes in the zone and he has to be, it's, it's that fine line, right? You don't want to get over aggressive all of a sudden, but, uh, and, and completely change who you are. But he, he'll make the adjustments. I, I trust that. I, I think he's a pretty talented, uh, player and, and this will work out in the end for him. But, other players, like like a guy like Nick Madrigal, that it looks bad right now, right? It, it doesn't look like it's going to work. It, well, wh- how much of that is a guy that's trying to, you know, adjust and, and trying, you know, missed how many games with a pretty significant injury, has very little time in the big leagues? Maybe it ends up that he needs to be sent down, right? We touched on this before. Maybe he just needs more time, and and will be fine. And, and we'll get back to who he is, and he's one of these guys that we're talking about that's in between, that's a little off, that whose timing is a mess, and, and he'll be fine, right? We have to – we, like it's, I, I think it's – I know Cubs fans love to just jump on guys that struggle out of the gate, and they already – I think a lot of fans already made their decision on who Madrigal was before he'd even put on a Cubs uniform, right, that already decided that he stinks. So it, there was no, – they, they weren't even going to give him a chance, and, and now – you know a month in it they they feel like they're justified and and there's a lot of talk like he's this tremendously awful defender and i like that feels really unwarranted as well uh but that's that's besides the point i'm talking about his offense and i, and I i'm curious to see if he what he can be if he can turn around turn things around and in general the offense is is looking in this really rough in this in this like stretch since about the the, the Ray series Pittsburgh series there, uh, it, it's been it's been ugly. So, I I want to see what who can develop, and I think there are a couple guys that that can turn a corner. I think there's a lot of space on this roster where you're like yeah that that guy's not not gonna be around much longer but there are some younger players or some some hidden gems i mean patrick wisdom it looks looks better than i thought he would but i think he's just going to be one of those guys that's streaky in general but i maybe he has a, a spot on the roster uh we'll see in the long run what that means but there i think there are some pieces here that i'm curious to see how they progress over the next few months.
0: I think we can all agree that there are individual performances that that matter, and that guys you know do have the ability to turn things around. We're not necessarily writing off um, individual players. It's just like how do these pieces fit together? and I don't think anyone who's watched the first whatever eight or nine series at this point whatever it is i mean it's been they haven't won a series since the opening series against the brewers and Which, it's like at a certain point by
2: the way just i want to slide in with the technically remember one of those games was punted so you could argue they haven't even won. that's part of a different series <laughs> exactly well, no no but that's what I'm, saying. I'm, I'm hey i'm trying to enhance your point patrick i'm trying to say now, but
0: then, then if you a, say that they haven't won a series all year well technically you know yeah, it would just be the know, ultimate like, by
2: the way you know, comment section if you uh, had said that right. i would have slid in with the same thing i would go, well right.
0: they did take two of three
2: well, <laughs> I, mean, I just think
0: like in terms of like uh, a low point for Cubs management of ownership of being like, hey, trust us on this, guys. Like this is going to work. It probably will in the long term. That's how the system is set up. And, you know, I think the Cubs farm system is well regarded. They're sitting on tons of money to spend eventually, we think. Um, but like right now, night in and night out. Like you know, I'm I go back to you know 2012, the beginning of the Dale Swaym era, and him saying you know every team wins 60 games and loses 60 games, and it's what you do. In the rest of that time, and it's like the Cubs are in a lot of games. Like they have elements of you know successful teams, and they have you know individual talents. But like piecing this together from one night to the next, from one series to the next, I, I just don't see like where the momentum is going to come from, especially when the starting pitching just hasn't lived up to what you would have hoped. And like, I was down the baseball reference rabbit hole last night and like that 2012 Cubs team had some pretty good starting pitchers. And I think you would
2: take that group over this one and they lost 101 games. Yeah, but they didn't have Wade Miley on the shelf ready to come back and save the day. No, I kid. But in all seriousness, I mentioned that just here as we're wrapping up because Miley is finally going back out on, I shouldn't say back out, going out on a rehab assignment started today, Thursday, with the Iowa Cubs. And I think we'll get a sense after that appearance for when he might return. And I think what's interesting about him coming back is by the time he does actually make his Cubs debut, will the conversation about him already be hey <laughs> could he turn himself into a nice trade piece by july yeah. yeah instead of what we would have hoped back in spring training when he was delayed which is all right can the cubs keep the rotation afloat and then he comes back and he helps con- you know keep them in contention when he comes back it's i don't know it's sort of it was predictable but it's also kind of crazy that like by the time he debuts he's already a trade piece um so that's yeah, that's that's a bummer. Hey, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans scored 24 runs.
3: Yeah, uh, I was about to uh, say, how about those Pelican you know, guys?
2: I <laughs> joked in response to that. I'm like, man, the Cubs are going to be so good in three years. I mean, and, and it's like one of those jokes that's like the the joke is both that I don't I'm not sure it's going to be that long. And I'm also not sure that you can exactly say like this group will be with the big league team in three years and they'll be great. But it does have a touch of. You know, there's a touch of truth in it that it's like the best concentration of talent in the organization is on this team with, that puts up a 24 spot. And they're just crushing that league, by the way. They are they have the best record in uh, the league by uh, quite a stretch. So, I mean, if you do want to be... if If the farm system was your bag coming into the season, you're like, well, big league team's going to suck, but I'm really hoping things go good on the farm by and large it's gone pretty well so there you go there's the hopeful note to close this and on a less hopeful note now the cubs get to play the dodgers so cheers <laughs> have a great weekend everyone <laughs> all right i'm brett taylor uh, this is odd to waveland you can get my stuff at bleacher nation that's patrick mooney and Sahadif sharma get theirs at the athletic we will be back to you after that Dodgers series and uh, maybe the Cubs will have given us something surprising to dig into you never know so take care all have a good weekend